If you have your Bible this morning, if you'll turn with me uh, to Psalm 77. Psalm 77. And when you have that, if you will stand with me this morning in reverence to God's Word. Psalm 77. The Bible says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious he, ha- he Has he, in his anger, shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You may be seated. This morning, our psalm, though longer than the ones that we have looked at so far, I would say is maybe the most simple in its message to us. It is simple because the psalmist here, I think, reflects an attitude that you and I deal with all the time. A struggle that you and I have as we go through our life, and we do so in an attempt to serve our God. In this psalm, the psalmist reflects on the works of God as opposed to his present circumstances. He does this because he is struggling. Like most psalms, we don't know the full context of what is going on. We know very little about 
the two men who are mentioned as authors of this psalm in the beginning. We, we don't know a lot about what we're going through, but we can tell very quickly that it is something that is causing them great difficulty. Whatever it is that they're going through, whatever it is that they're dealing with, is something that is very hard for them to bear. It's something that's making it very difficult, not only for them to get through their life, but also for them to continue on in their relationship with God. They're struggling simply praying with God. They're struggling in communicating with God because of whatever circumstance this is that they're facing. And so they composed this psalm. And they do so with honesty about what they're dealing with. I think that's a good place for us to start. Because you and I, as believers, I think sometimes get it in our mind that that we can't be honest about the struggles that we're having. And we especially can't be honest about the struggles that we're having when it comes to our relationship with God. Because if we are honest, if we are open about the fact that there is a struggle, well, what does that say about us? Or we may worry, what does that say, more importantly, about God? That His people would would struggle in their relationship with Him. And yet this psalmist presents for us very clearly in these first few verses that he is having trouble connecting with God. If you look there in verses 1 through 3, it seems to be very clear-cut. As a matter of fact, how many psalms have we read that, that, seems to, that seem to start out in the same manner? I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. I don't know how many times those exact words are repeated, but that sentiment seems to be pretty prevalent in the Psalms. About everywhere we go, it it seems to be there over and over again. I I cry out to God. I I yearn for God. I want to communicate with God. David would write that over and over again. But as we read on in verses 2 and 3, we see that, that he is saying that not as a statement of fact, but more as a statement of hope that is not really being fulfilled. Because he says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. That is the hope, but that is apparently not what is happening. In verse 2, In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. He, he says, I'm crying out to God. I'm praying to God. I'm, I'm not growing tired of crying out to God. But look what he says, My soul refuses to be comforted. He says, in spite of the fact that I cry aloud to God, that I stretch out my hands in prayer to Him, in the day of my trouble I am seeking Him, but my soul refuses to be comforted. He says in verse 3, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. I would say that verses 1 through 3 represent more of our prayer life than we would like to admit. How many times do we cry out to God? Do we plead with Him for something? Do we we beg of Him to do something for us or to us or for our community or to our community? How often do we 
beg and plead for that, and we get to the end of our begging and pleading, and instead of comfort, we're still hurting. We live in a culture where we want everything now. We want it taken care of immediately. I think of week before last when my daughter broke her arm and she took it all in great stride. She dealt with it very well. And the doctor told her it will be four to five weeks of wearing your cast. So that seemed to be okay. That was on Wednesday except for Thursday morning when she woke up. Is today the day to have my cast off? And by the weekend, I'm kind of tired of the cast. I'm kind of ready for it to be gone. It's not really her fault. That's how she's been raised because she has grown up in a time where we want everything now and our attempt is to give everything now. But it's not how God works. And because God doesn't work like that, you and I have to deal with that reality. We have to deal with the reality that there will be times when we don't seem to be making that connection with God. When we pray, when we ask Him to do something, when we need Him desperately to do something, and it doesn't happen. We can't connect with Him. At least that's how we feel. I would never tell you that you can't connect with God. I would tell you quite the opposite, that at any point you can connect with Him and talk to Him and read His Word and know who He is. But there are times when we feel like we can't connect with God. And what does that lead us to? As we look on into this psalm in verses 4 through 9, what we see is in those times when we can't connect with God, when when it doesn't feel like He's close, when it doesn't feel like He's doing what we need, and He's it doesn't feel like He's there, we began to feel abandoned. Look what the psalmist says. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? That is a desperate cry from someone who is hurting, from someone who feels abandoned, from someone who doesn't see hope. Think about this. These two men, the little bit that you can find about them, these two men that are mentioned there at the beginning of the psalm, these men are Levitical priests. They're Levitical singers. It was part of their job to be involved in worship. They were to write about worship. They were to lead in worship. And so they write this song to help with worship. And yet this song asks the question, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Friends, I think it is easy for you and I to get to a point where if we were completely honest, we feel abandoned by God. Where we don't see hope. Where we don't see what is ahead. 
where we don't know where God is taking us and we're unsure if we want to go there because He doesn't seem to be doing anything for us. It is easy to slip into that mindset. And it's not that we slip into that mindset because the devil is working on us or because everything is coming against us. It's because we have to live our lives. We have to go through this life and deal with what comes along. And we want God to be there for us. We want God to take away those hard things and sometimes He doesn't. And so it leaves us hurting. He says in verse 8, Has His steadfast love forever ceased? Think about that statement. If God has steadfast love, how could it ever cease? If He has love that doesn't cease, how could it, in fact, end? But that's what the psalmist is having to deal with. His life is such a mess. Everything is going on that he can't control. And so he's come to the point where he believes that this love that God has promised that will never go away, that will never fail, somehow it is ended. And it leaves him feeling abandoned. He says, are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? See, those are questions that you and I think should be asked by, by the world. We hear those questions come from the world, the world that doesn't know God. They, they ask those questions when they see natural disasters. They ask those questions when they see acts of terrorism or they ask those questions when there are school shootings or there are mass murders. They ask those questions because they don't know God. They don't know God and they don't understand how we could say that there is a God who is good, who loves us, who loves His creation, and at the same time allow these things to happen. But these questions here are not being asked by someone who is worldly and does not know God. Here is a person who knows God very well. A person who has come from a place of, of understanding when it comes to who God is and what He has done, and yet He asks these questions. And friends, you and I should not be afraid to ask these questions. Because every time we ask these questions, I promise you that God has an answer for them. But if you and I are at a place in our relationship with God where we are afraid... Not of Him leaving us, not of Him abandoning us, but frankly, just afraid to even ask these questions. Frankly, afraid to be honest about how we feel. That, that we worry about what God is doing. We, we struggle with not knowing His complete plan. We, we worry about that. We worry about what He is going to do with our children or our grandchildren. We are concerned about that and we, we want to know. We want to know, God, are you going to keep your promises? Because when He is keeping them and He is pouring out blessings on us, it is very easy for us to be excited about it and say God is good and God is great and we, we are excited about what He's doing. But what about those dark places that we fall into often? I think we become afraid to admit 
that we're going through struggles and dealing with difficulties. And yet this psalmist, he asks these questions. Maybe he asks them for us because we are afraid to ask them ourselves. Because until we ask those questions, until we plead with God, God, where are you? That, until we ask them, they will not be answered. But God gives the answer to us through this psalmist beginning in verse 10. He, he can't connect with God He feels abandoned by God, and so here is the answer. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. The right hand was the place of favor. When you sat at the right hand of the king, it was to show that you were an important person who the king was honoring with this place at his right hand. The psalmist remembers all of these years that he and his people have sat at God's right hand. They have been shown immeasurable favor. Here he begins to remember what God has done. And in remembering what God has done, it allows him and provides for him the ability to see what God is doing now. He says, I remember the years at the right hand. Verse 11, I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. I'll remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on all your mighty deeds. If you look back, you see when he meditated before, when he meditated about what he was going through, when he was thinking about the actions that God was taking, his spirit moans. But now, flash forward to verse 12, and when he ponders the works of God, when he meditates on the mighty deeds of God, it begins to change his spirit. It begins to change the way he is thinking. He says, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. As he begins to think about God and what God has done, he remembers that God's way is holy. God's way, His perfect plan. And when he can dwell on the fact that God's plan is perfect, not only perfect, but it is holy, it gives him comfort. See, God's holiness talks about both His righteousness and His justice. That sometimes we do go through difficult circumstances. Sometimes things do happen to us and to others that are terrible. But in all of that, God has a plan. God created us perfect. He created this world perfect. Sin has wrecked this world. Sin is what causes there to be terrorist attacks and natural disasters and school shootings. Sin has brought that about. And yet even in our sin and wickedness as human beings, God still has a holy way. He still has a holy and perfect plan that is being carried out each and every day. And so the psalmist could go back and think about what he had said in verses 1 through 3. Think about the fact that he was having trouble even as he prayed to God that he was becoming more despaired because God was not delivering him. God was not taking him out of what he was 
facing, he can go back to that and think, it doesn't matter what it is that I'm dealing with now if I can look and see that God has been working in my life to this point and God will continue to work things out in His way. He says, you are the God, in verse 14, who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. He begins to think about God. Instead of thinking about his present circumstances. He begins to focus on God and his character. He begins to focus on the God who has given him life and redeemed him from the things that he has faced, who has delivered him from his circumstances, both in the past and in the future. When he is dwelling on his circumstances, when he is dwelling on what he is currently dealing with, he has no hope. He has nothing but despair. But when he begins to reflect on the works of God, he begins to change his attitude. He begins to see things differently. He begins to understand who is in charge and he begins to understand who he belongs to. He remembers God's works. And he's no longer feeling abandoned. As a matter of fact, in the last part of this psalm, he begins to write about a specific time that gave him the most hope. And to be honest, for the people of Israel, this was God's defining act. They placed this event above all others when it came to how powerful their God was. So in verses 16-20, through 20, he begins to recount the time when God delivered them from their slavery and bondage. Look at these powerful words in verse 16. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep was troubled. He he thinks about the time when Moses was called by God to go into Egypt. And he was called to go and stand before Pharaoh and demand of Pharaoh that God's people be released. And even though it took a while, even though we could see Moses maybe praying these same things that we saw in the first few verses of this psalm, even though it was hard and even though it seemed like they weren't going to be victorious, Pharaoh relents and he lets the people go. And so here we have this this stream of people leaving Egypt. They have been freed. And they come to the Red Sea. And they're standing there and there's the sea in front of them and Pharaoh who has changed his mind with his army behind them and they have nowhere to go. As a matter of fact, they at this point begin to have serious doubts about God and about Moses. And yet, God tells Moses, as he's always told Moses, that being stopped here, being slaughtered by Pharaoh's army, drowning in the Red Sea is not part of the plan. And so with outstretched hands, Moses 
stands before this water. And the sea parts and they cross on dry land. And so that's what we read in Exodus. We, we read that story and we read about Moses' hands stretched out and we, we read about the sea dividing them walking across. But the psalmist doesn't give us that perspective. We know that part of the story. He gives us the godly perspective. He gives us what is happening with God. What is happening when God delivers His people. And so we see, when the waters saw you, O God, not when they saw Moses, not when they saw God's people, not when they saw Pharaoh's armies charging, when the waters saw you, O God, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. The visual there is not of Moses standing there with his arms stretched out, but of God walking in front of His people and God walking to the water. And as God got to the water, the water split and God walks across in front of His people on dry land. That is the image of this passage. And friends, for you and I in our life, this is where we find our hope. That in the circumstances we face, in the difficulties that we go through daily, that as we walk through this life that God has given us, that our God walks out in front of us and He knows exactly where we need to be going. What's interesting, if we think back to Exodus, when God's people walk across on dry land. That if it wasn't for that deliverance, if it wasn't for God bringing them out of slavery, these sons of Jacob, who had, who had been one time rulers in Egypt, but who had become slaves, these sons of Joseph who, who desperately needed redemption, if it wasn't for God walking out in front of them as they crossed the Red Sea of God parting the waters, there would have been no nation of Israel. And if there had been no nation of Israel, if there had been no people of God who had their, their land, who had their faith and their temple there in Jerusalem, there would have been no King David. From King David, there would have been no Solomon, and there would have been none of his sons, and if God hadn't done this, if God hadn't provided a way in this circumstance, this one particular place, then there would be nothing for us. We would have nothing. We would be nothing. There would have been no Christ who would have come born in Bethlehem. There would have been no perfect life that He lived. There would have been no redemption through His death on the cross. So there, in, in the most desperate of circumstances, as God's people were slaves, we're, we're reminded from verse 13, Your way, O God, is holy. Even in that circumstance, 
even in that moment when God is standing there with them on the shore of the Red Sea and, and walks out and the waters part, even in that moment, he is thinking about what he is going to do for you and I through Jesus Christ. Thousands of years before it, were to, it was to happen. When, when nothing, nobody was even thinking about that. When, when all of these people are, are grumbling and upset, many of them are, are weary from being slaves and now weary from their travel and weary as there is an army coming to kill them. None of them are, are thinking about what is ahead. None of them are thinking about how they're even going to escape this moment. And yet in God's mind, He is working out His plan on how He would one day save you and I. And He's doing so even in this moment. Friends, I don't know what you're facing this morning. I know for many of you it is difficulty. For many of you there are, there are things going on in your life that you would not want to admit are causing you to struggle. They're causing you to struggle with your faith in God because, because why? Why would a, a God who promises good things for His people, why would He allow these things to happen to me? We all think that. We all wonder why the circumstances happen. I would remind you of this this morning. That in all things, our God's way is holy. That may not be very comforting. It's not comforting when you're going through uncertain times. It's, it's not comforting necessarily when you're going through dark days. But if we will remember back to the fact that our God is faithful in all. That's where the attitude of the psalmist begin to change. You notice we don't get to the end. You don't get to verse 20 and everything is okay. You know, sometimes that's what we do with our songs, and that's what happens in the Psalms, right? They start out bad, and they go through a time of difficulty or transition, and everything is good in the end. It's like a storybook. You know, and they all lived happily ever after. But when you get to the end of Psalm 77, nothing has changed. Nothing about his circumstances are different. Nothing about what he's going through is different. Nothing about what he is dealing with is different at all. He is in the exact same position in his life in verse 1 and in verse 20. But the difference is he has changed his focus. He no longer focuses on his present circumstances. He no longer focuses on what he has going on today. But he begins to focus on what God has done and what God has promised. And friends... That's where you and I have to go. Your circumstances aren't going to change today. I, I would highly doubt that, that coming to church this morning and, and going home this afternoon, everything is going to be fixed. It's all going to be better. It's all going to be great. You're going to wake up tomorrow. You're going to have the best job. Your kids are going to be the best behaved they've ever been. You're going to make the most money. You're going to have the least amount of problems. Your marriage is going to be fixed. All your relationships are going to be fixed. It's not going to happen. But what can change is where our focus is. If our focus is, is always on what's happening and never on the one who holds us, 
that we're never going to have hope. We're never going to have joy. The times when I get most down is when I worry about the things that are happening now instead of the one who has made me and promised me everything. He says in verse 10 that he appeals to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I find comfort when I think about the one who now sits at the right hand of the Most High. The one who always has and always will be. The one through which all things have been made. The one who the Bible describes as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. See, the one who sits at the right hand of the Most High is the resurrected Son of God, Jesus Christ, who gives us life. Present circumstances are pretty terrible. Some of you are out of work. Some of you have problems at home. We live in a nation on the verge of going to war this week. But our hope is in the Most High. Our hope is in our Heavenly Father. And friends, if you and I place our faith and trust in Him this morning, we have life and we have hope. You'll be tempted this week because we're all tempted every week and every day to focus on what we're going through now because the devil will take that and he will rob us of our joy if that is where we stay. But friends, we can focus on him this week. We can focus on our God who is holy and great to which there is no comparison. And he will give us life. He will give us hope. Let's look to Him this week. Let's look to Him in whatever we face. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we thank You. We thank You that we God, we have life in you. We are sustained by you. God, I don't know how many times in my life when I have wondered where you are at, wondered what you were doing. God, I'd simply not looked up and saw that you were walking before me. That you were removing the obstacles out of my path that you are parting the waters that, God, were hindering me from, from going where you would have me to go. God, let us look up. Let us look up and see where you're going. See what you're doing. God, I know that there are some here who are God, they're desperately bogged down in the circumstances. God, they're desperately bogged down in, in difficult things. God, remind them this morning of your newness, of your grace, 
of your mercy. God, we, we desperately need you. We desperately need your care and guidance. God, help us to focus afresh on what you have done and what you have promised. And God, this morning, let us find our hope there. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand with me this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation. And let me encourage you with this. Some of you are here and you do not know Christ. You have never placed your faith and trust in Him. You have never turned your life over to Him. Let me encourage you with this. There is no hope in your present circumstance. Like there's nothing to look to, there's nothing to look forward to, there's nothing to look ahead to apart from Christ. Our hope, our foundation is in Him. And without Him, there's nothing. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Him, you feel bogged down in all the stuff you're facing, there's a reason for that. It's because there's no one to focus on. I'd love to share with you this morning how to know Christ. Respond. Listen to what God has told us this morning. If you'll come as we sing.